beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to Best Books of the Year, Take Three. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, we are gathered here today to discuss the best books of the year as we do every year for you. It's one of our favorite episodes to record and share. But this year, in the year of our Lord, 2023, we are doing this fully for the second time. I said the third time because we actually had to reschedule due to my own illness, emergency reschedule. But then we did manage to get together, sit around a table for a good two plus hours, recording, laughing, sharing, talking about books. And then when I went to edit it, the file was fully corrupted. <laughs> so. So we are back, Stephanie and Yasmin, my longtime Real Life Book Club members are so gracious, are so generous with their time that we are back today to fully record, and this time it's going to work, everybody. It's going to work about the best books of the year. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Third time's the charm. Woo! We're going to get it this time. We're going to do it, y'all. We are going to be experts. Nobody better mess up with what they're saying because we've had lots of practice. You know exactly what your lines are. Okay, so here we go. No, it is, it's going to be a great conversation. I really am glad that we get to have this conversation every single year because as much as we do it for the podcast, of course, I love it for myself that we have a record of our favorite books over the years. This is our sixth 
time our sixth annual recording this end of the year episode. And this year we did something a little bit different. We did a half year version, which you've never done. In the past, it's always one big monster, again, two plus hour episode at the end of the year. This year we met in June and kind of took stock of our reading year in the middle of the year. And I loved that. How did you feel about that? I thought it was great. I, I really, really, really liked having that mid-year check-in. I think it changed things for how we read the back half of the year. But I also think it was less overwhelming this episode because we weren't like, oh my God, there's so many books, all the books. Like I felt like we could really be intentional in what we were reading and choosing for this episode because we had already had some before. I totally agree. I think it's interesting to take stock at mid-year and figure out, like looking back to combine, to make my end of year list, interesting to see like what did and didn't make it that I cared about in the, in the beginning of the year. And, and truth be told, every book I brought to this pot, to this particular end of year podcast, none of them were on my mid-year. So it was fun to have stuff and remind myself that like, I loved lots of things at mid-year, but I loved way more in the back half of the year. Okay. Well, that is interesting because typically when I'm taking stock of my full year reading, I always, always, always suffer from recency bias. I always love something that I have read in the fall. Also, some of the best books of the year are very traditionally published in the fall. That's like a really popular time for some of the like meatier books to be published. And I usually have one or two of those that I, you know, come sliding into this episode like raving about. And this year, that is not the case. This year, I did my best reading in the first half of the year. I read amazing things the first six months of the year. And some of them I'm seeing all over the end of the year lists. You know, they're they're acclaimed books or like a lot of reader favorites. But then I, I know partially it was a personal thing and, and not the publishing industry, but I just, I didn't read a lot of great things in the second half of the year. So it has been really different for me to kind of look at my list and not feel like I'm only choosing books from the fall, but really I'm looking back at what I read in the spring. So, But let's also say, though, that you published a book this year yourself. So, of course, the second half of the year was going to be different than a regular reading year. Right? I know, but but my book came out in April, and I would have maybe theoretically thought that in the months leading up to that would have been like more chaotic, it, you know, reading. My focus was off. I was very, very busy. But that's not true. You know, I'm one of those people who when I'm the busiest is also when I'm reading the most. Like That's, that's what I was of. just going to say. I'm like, when and that's, it's a stress reaction. I think all of us have that. Yeah. Like at, when we're stressed, we read. So I think the busier we are, the more the more we're doing. But I think like the second half of the year that you were traveling, you were doing, you know, different things. And so your focus just wasn't wasn't there and you were less stressed. Well, there was a lot going on. I mean, this is like <laughs> part of this is a conversation for another episode, which I will be doing. I love doing my like 10 things I learned every year, my 10 takeaways from the year, which I will share here on the show as well. And for sure, your personal life impacts your reading life, like for better mm -hmm. or worse. Sometimes you're escaping into books and you're reading a lot. It definitely affects the type of books that you are drawn to when you are stressed or joyful or in a pandemic or, you know, in 
like relationship problems, like all of the things that happen in our regular life for sure affects our reading life. And I saw it 100% in 2023. So let's talk about, I do want to talk about the book's just briefly that we talked about mid-year and if they did hold true. I know, Steph, you already sort of mentioned that some of yours didn't make it to your end of the year list, but I want to sort of reference those books just for a minute. But first, for listeners who might be chiming in for the first time or just need a little bit of a reminder, I want to hear y'all both introduce yourself before we get into the book conversation so that people kind of have a frame of reference for who we are talking about books right now. Stephanie, why don't you go first? So my name is Stephanie Newman-Smith. I'm a film and television executive in Los Angeles. You know, I've I've always been a really big reader since I was a kid. I read every single day. I have different patterns in which I read, which was an interesting one this year. I think at the beginning of the year, I read a lot of Smart Fluffy, which tends to be what I do kind of at the beginning of the year. And I think one of the reasons that my later half of the year was more successful is I tend to dig a little deeper and read stuff that's a little more challenging towards the back half of the year, which I've noticed over the last few years that tends to be my pattern. But but yeah, I'm I'm always reading something. Usually I'm reading a couple of things at once. <laughs> I, I try not to do that as much, but yeah. One of the things that we mention every time you're on the show, Steph, is that you have to read for work, or should I say you get to read for work. So you are constantly reading very popular upcoming books that you know, may like become film or television projects. So the bonus of that is that you get to read really cool stuff months, if not years in advance. The, you know, sort of side part of that is that you have to read all the time and it may take away from your reading for pleasure. Did that affect your reading this year? Yeah, it definitely did. I will say during, obviously, for people who followed it, there was a massive writer strike this year. So I went from being very, very busy to having not so much to do. So I read a lot more that was upcoming books for work because I felt like I needed to be productive. And that was one way of doing it. I mean, I think it it is both incredibly fun to get to read stuff in advance. It also always makes me feel like I'm a little bit outside of the conversation. I can talk about it with a few select friends. Although funnily enough, I feel like a lot of us are reading very different things based on like our company mandates. So it's funny. I always wish a little bit that like for the really hot books that are exciting, I always, you know, if if they come out two years later, these are like champagne problems. But sometimes I'm like, oh man, I read that so long ago. And like, I don't get to be excited with the rest of everybody. (laughs) But it is fun to see something that you read years in advance and you're like no that is amazing and it's super validating to see it like years later when everybody else has read it and be like I knew it I knew it was going to be a hit yeah so that's always really fun <laughs> yeah i always love your perspective on on those projects so that's really fun yasmin tell us who you are hi i'm yasmin dunn also a television executive here in los angeles i work in diversity. So I tend to do a lot of nonfiction reading. Like I'd like to stay up on what's happening in my business in terms of like you know, business trends and how people are dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. This year, I got to read a lot of 
legal things given the climate. It was actually a good education. But yeah, I think this year I did I did I did more fiction reading than I normally do and I it was really exciting and lovely and I understand why people read fiction. So it was good. Well, and speaking of book club because we are a real life book club, this is my like annual or at this point now twice annual reminder to everyone that book clubs can be all shapes and sizes. We are a three-person team and we didn't start out that way, it, but it has ended up that way for years now. We like it this way. And I always mention it because I think if you want to join a book club or want to start a book club, you can get real in your head about what it's supposed to look like and that it has to have, you know, between six and 12 people and it has to meet on a, you know, weeknight with wine and cheese and it has to read a certain type of book. It has to be full of a certain type of member. There's all kinds of things that we think, oh, it feels like a pain to start a book club or join an existing book club because we don't fit into the mold or we don't think we can create the mold that we have in our head. Y'all, two people is a book club. (laughs) Like that's all Mm -hmm. you need. You just need someone to talk books with. And it can be virtual. I loved that that was one of the things that came out of the pandemic is that, you know, online virtual book clubs can be very fun and effective. And it can be small like ours, and you can make up your own rules. You don't ever have to agree on a book or vote on a book. It's not a democracy. I mean, I don't like book club democracy is my own self, but it can be if you want it to be. Yeah, I always mention that because I always get these wistful DMs from people like, oh, I wish I had a book club or I had a book club and it fell apart or I'm too scared to start one or join one. I always get these kind of messages. And I want to be like, have you missed that my book club is three people? <laughs> well, I we were like an offshoot from a much larger one. And then it just mm-hmm. sort of like fell apart. And we could have just been like, oh, it's done. But the three of us. Well, I'm going to be very honest. It was Stephanie who was like, I need book club. <laughs> I, refused, I refused to let it die so hard. I would not let it go because it took me so long to find a book club that I was like, no, this is sheer force of will. This is happening. Yeah. It, worked. Say, it worked. The other thing I will say too about forming a book club is like you, if you meet someone that you like, that you know likes books that is enough to start a book club with a person. You don't have to know each other very well. We all know each other really well now, but that's only because it's been nine years. We didn't really know each other at the beginning. We were all brought in to the book club by another friend of ours who isn't in the book club anymore, but like we didn't really know each other. Not at all. (laughs) It's not at all necessary. Like as long as you meet someone, you're like, oh, they're really nice and they like books. Like that is absolutely the only requirement you need. It's just go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I will say we've gotten to know each other. The other thing too that I will say about it is like, I fully invited myself into this book club. Like it's okay to just be like, it was the brashest thing I'd probably ever done was I totally finagled my way into this book club. And I highly recommend it because it's the best thing I ever did. It totally worked. We were at a screening actually for just film and our mutual friend worked on that film and so stephanie came up to us when we were all out in the lobby and she was like i hear you guys are in book club i really want to join book club so where's the next book club? 
I totally invaded myself. It was amazing. And I never do stuff like that. I'm not that person. And I wanted to be in a book club so badly. I made it happen. But I love it. I love it. And then it really like, I will say this too, the fact that it's been smaller has been really good because I think, you know, we, the three of us have gone through so many changes and this group has been essential to sort of like figuring out some of those issues. You know, Steph got married. Like, it's just like all sorts of stuff. Life has happened. Our kids got older and, you know, we were dealing with all of that. And I think this, like, at least for me, it's been so great to have this space, this like, and I I hate this phrase, but like this very safe space of female friends where there's no obligation. Like we do get together in between book clubs, but sometimes we're busy. Sometimes we don't. But I still know that I can text and say, I need to see you or I have this thing, you know, and I don't know that I don't have other relationships that are like that because I say this a lot. And those of you who've been listening for a long time know that like Laura and I are completely different. Like we were, and Stephanie too, but like Laura and I did that series together. We were raised very, very differently. The bias series, we, we challenge each other in lots of ways. And none of that would have happened. Like I'll say it. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally like seek out a sorority girl from Oklahoma <laughs> to be like one of my besties, right? Like that's not. And that's my own bias. That's my own thing. But I think the gift of book club has been that that this relationship has happened. And then Stephanie is, you know, younger than I am and I was at a different point in her life when we met. And I don't know that I would have been, you know, been like, oh, I'm going to go be friends with a 25 year old. So it, it's it's been such a gift because we have these deep friendships that only exist because of book club. Yeah, because. I was also going to say at this point now, we're dear, dear friends and have like a comfort level, but also we have earned that. Like Mm -hmm. we did, we grew up three different religions. You know, we have really different backgrounds. We, you know, have really different perspectives often on, you know, world events and local events. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all in or in tangent to Hollywood. And so that's part of our world that we also have bring different perspectives to. And so I feel like that we have earned the kind of friendship we're describing, but to bring it back to book club is we've earned it primarily in time, you know, like over time, that's, that's hopefully going to come in your relationships. But because in the early years of our friendship, before you have that, and we were even more different back then than we are now, you can use books as such a framework for these harder conversations. We would read books and that would allow us to talk about things, you know, besides than just bringing up like current event headlines or whatever. It let us really, like we talked about so many issues over the years and, you know, we've all like had our minds changed by some of these deep and meaningful conversations and that takes time, but you can use books as a framework for that. It's one of the things that I love about book club. There's a few things that I love about book clubs in general. One is that I think it pushes you to read stuff out of your comfort zone. That's why I do not like book club democracies where you vote on the book because I think you should occasionally be pushed to read something that you would never pick up in a million years that you would never have voted for, if you will. I think that can really change your reading life. And then secondly, is that because you can use books, stories, as frameworks for 
belief systems, for growth, for relationship, for all of these things. I feel really passionately about that, about books in general and reading in general. And it comes out the most in like group conversations. Of course, you can do that kind of changing and growing on your own just as a solitary reader. Also a benefit to being a reader. But book clubs are just the best. Let's just say the it. best. It, they are. And it's just different. It's just different. I mean, I think I I really, I'd love to make fun of Laura for being like a sorority girl from Oklahoma. But like I have, I have really softened a lot of my own bias because of our relationship. And I know we, we tend to talk about this, about like your mind being changed, but like, Mine has been too. And I think it's, it's been really, it's been really good for me, not just to get out of my own head, but to really, you know, risk having sometimes very painful conversations with people that I otherwise wouldn't have done. Like I would have just been like, no, it's not my job. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But given how just like fraught the world has been, I really, I, I think our relationship has really helped me sort of bridge a divide that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. So it's, yeah, so it goes both ways though. And I just, I do want to say that because I think when you talk about this, you always talk about how you're learning things and we don't talk about how I've learned things too. Hmm. So there. Well, I love that. I love that. <laughs> With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots. And I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over 5,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. 
Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Let's talk about our favorite books of the year, 2023. This was a strong publishing year. Yes. It's a really good year. Yeah. Despite my own kind of weird wobbliness in the second half of it, I could see objectively that there was really amazing books published this year. And I want to just like jump right in with what our favorite book of the year was. And if your favorite book of the year is something that we already mentioned at the half year show, just go ahead and toss it out there too. We won't spend too many minutes on it because we've already talked about it, but I just like for the record, want it to be kind of out there as some of your favorites. Steph, do you want to start with your favorite book of the year? My, absolutely. My favorite book of the year was Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. Ah, I I love this book so much. I think this is on all of our lists, is it? Yeah. Which is, which is, by the way, maybe a world record. It's almost unheard of. And Lara and Yasmin were kind enough to let me pick this one to talk about because I'm really I loved it. You mentioned that because I was going to say, <laughs> yes, they let me. They let me pick this one for my own because I loved it so much. I called an impromptu book club. I like called an emergency book club meeting after I read it because you had both read it before me mm-hmm. and had told me I needed to read it. And then I finally got to it and I was like, well, now we can't go 24 hours. I need to discuss it. Yeah. It's that important. <laughs> it was such, I love, I love it so much that now I have every single book that Anne Napolitano has written on hold at the library. That is how much I was like, I need to read all of them now. Tell me what you loved about Hello Beautiful. What I loved about Hello Beautiful so much was how specifically drawn all the characters were, including all the side characters. So the the book is about a very young man. You meet him when he kind of goes to college. His name is William Waters, and he ends up getting involved with one of the four daughters in the Padovano family and ends up becoming kind of an extended member of this family. And you follow them throughout almost 30 years from kind of teenagerhood through all sorts of of things that happen through their adult lives. And my favorite part is just like these, every character feels so specific, so well-drawn, from every single one of the sisters who are so distinct from one another, William in particular, he's described as this like gigantic basketball loving guy. He's like a, a giant person. And you just, he, he had a really cold and unloving childhood. And you just want to like wrap this poor kid up in a hug and be like, it will be okay. You will be fine. And you just like, you want to like, just make him feel better. And even all the side characters, like his best friend, and there's a coach on the basketball team, the parents, everyone feels like they could be the star of their own book. And they are so rich in in detail and in character that they they could be the star and they they probably are in their own minds. And that was 
that was so remarkable in her writing. I will also say I am a huge fan of Little Women. There are a lot of allusions between direct allusions that the author makes between this family and and Little Women. They talk about the book all the time because it's a family of four sisters, and William functions as the kind of Laurie character. And I that all it all really works for me because that's one of my favorite books. But I also like that it never felt overdone. It felt like it was done just the right amount without being too much. And I also didn't feel like you really needed, I obviously have read Little Women multiple times. I don't think you really need to have read it. I think it makes it a richer experience, but I think it's totally fine if you haven't. But I love this book so much. So this book, Hello Beautiful, is a family drama. I love a dysfunctional family drama. (laughs) And What I liked about you calling an emergency book club meeting after you read this book so that we could (laughs) all discuss was that we did not agree with some of the sisters' choices. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no spoilers here or anything, but dysfunctional family drama. Some of the sisters, there's some well cards in there. And... (laughs) We all didn't feel the same way about it, which is one of the reasons that it makes like such a good book to discuss. I really think as as much as we all loved it individually and it's landing on our lists individually, this would be such an excellent book club book. Like if you're looking ahead 2024 to to pick a book for your own book club, this would be such a good one because there's so many things to discuss in the characters' choices and alliances, allegiances, you know, loyalties. I don't know how you want to describe it, but I... Loved that part of it, but I I love a dysfunctional family drama with a little bit of like humor and maybe even some sweetness. You know, I don't go for sweetness too often. There's some sweetness in this book. No, it was. This is the one we were at dinner when we discussed, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that, okay. So this is why it was funny is because we were like talking about the characters, like they were people that we knew. We were like, no, I'm on her side like it was fantastic it did feel like gossiping yeah it was like gossip for sure yes and it doesn't that doesn't happen all the time but like it was I that one really stuck out to me because we were so just like vocal about it and really felt like yeah like we like they were our friends and we were protecting them or defending them (laughs) I am so glad that you chose that as your best book of the year and that we started there because it is such a good one and I have seen it on other people's end of the year list and I just think it's so well deserved I haven't read anything else by Anne Napolitano I know that people love her and I like you Steph want to seek that out Yasmin what's your favorite book of the year My best book of the year is You Could Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith. It's a memoir. Maggie Smith is a poet. And it's, I I love this book for so many reasons. I mean, primarily because it's just so beautifully written, but it also was really resonated with me with my life right now. And so, you know, so she writes this poem and and has been a poet for a while and not like famous or well-known, but she wrote this poem called Good Bones that just went bananas viral. It was all over the place. Meryl Streep read it. The Jill Biden quoted it. It was in a television show. Like, and it was one of these things that just like infiltrated the culture. And 
it really changed the dynamic in her relationship with her husband. There are other issues there too, but the sort of like imbalance and the, the change, like she changed and she got very famous very quickly. And it just sort of threw off the way that they had related to each other. And, you know, I, I shared at that maybe your show that that's, that really parallels sort of some things that have happened in my own life in terms of getting this job as a TV exec and, you know, changing the way things have been for a while. So it was really, it, it just spoke to me. Yeah. So this is one that you did share at the mid-year show yeah. as it was your best of the year then, and it has held true then to 100%, the end of the year. 100%, 100%, because it was just, I haven't read anything else this year that stuck with me and that really like changed me. And I, mm. I, I said this before, but I'll say it again, because this is why it's, it's, this is like the profound power of the written word that like, it gave me license to feel my feelings and to to make difficult choices. And I wasn't getting that from my friends, not because they weren't there, but because I also wasn't sharing, right? Like mm-hmm. I wasn't being honest. But then reading this book, she was just so honest. And it was like reading my thoughts and then feeling like, oh, okay, yeah. like this is okay. And I think that that's this, one of the reasons I do like memoir and nonfiction is because that can happen, you know, where you don't, maybe you're not ready to share your stuff with your friends. Maybe you're not ready to hear someone else's opinion, but you can read a memoir and it can validate your humanity, your choices, your experiences, or the things that you don't want to say to anybody. Which is why I love writers. Like they really can just, you know, reach out of the page and touch you on such a basic human level. And that was absolutely what I needed. And I feel like this book changed the trajectory of my life. And wow, that, that doesn't normally happen. Right. Well, and another memoir that you actually talked about in the mid-year show, and I'm so glad that we talked about this at the time, because this was in June, and you brought to the table in that conversation Matthew Perry's memoir, and this was months before he died. And I am so glad that we were able to have that conversation together and sort of appreciate his work in the world and him sharing his story, you know, before the whole world sort of mourned his loss. I'm really glad that we kind of had that conversation on microphone. And I thank you for bringing those like tough, those are both tough stories, very radically different tough stories, but Matthew Perry's biography. And then the one that you're choosing as your favorite of the year, which is we could make this place beautiful by Maggie Smith. Okay. So my favorite book of the year, if you listen to the show regularly, I have talked about this one. I talked about it for my favorite things of the summer is the episode that I shared about this book, but I've also shared about it all over social media because it is, I mean, I don't even think the competition is close. It is definitely my best book of the year. And it is Shark Heart by Emily Habick. Yay! This is such a good book. It's this This is another one that's all three of us. Yeah. Y'all, are we mind melding? What is going on? (laughs) Bizarre. This never happens. Two in one. (laughs) This never happens. So 
I had to really like sort of separate myself out from Shark Heart, what I loved about it at the beginning, because I was handed this book when I was on book tour. I was at Fabled Bookshop in Waco, Texas in June, and I was handed this book and uh, by Elizabeth Barnhill, who's the book buyer there. And she said, this author, this debut author is from your hometown. Now, y'all, I'm from a teeny tiny Oklahoma hometown. And I was like, no, she's not. What? Like, there's just not. You just, I I just was like, I've never, what are you talking about? So I took it home and read it a little bit early. I read it in July before it came out in August. And I was so blown away by this story of these newlyweds. And one of them, the husband, is slowly turning into a great white shark. Now, this is this is treated like that is completely normal. It's one of the things that I loved about the book is that it's not campy. It's not there's it's not like wow, isn't this crazy science? Like I don't even know. There's different angles I guess you could approach this being the premise, but she treats it like with the reverence that it is that that he is turning into a, a slowly turning into a great white shark and what a devastation that is. And so it's so it's ticking all these boxes for me that I love. Like quirky, beautiful writing, you know, sort of like taking the taking itself seriously in a way that I love. And also then it had all these nods to this my Oklahoma hometown because Emily Hebeck is from there. So I was like all summer, or, or like when I was reading it, the, the few weeks that I was reading it, I was like, am I just like having, is this like the perfect storm of a book? <laughs> like, is this is this what's happening? And I just wanted to tell everyone about it. And then I felt so affirmed because everyone else loved it too, in a way that made me feel like, okay, it isn't just me having like a local connection bias towards Shark Heart. It is such a good book. Even for people, I've talked to a lot of people about this book in the last few months, even for people who don't always love quirky or like this wouldn't necessarily be in their wheelhouse, it is really touching people. This sort of love story that you can read as just a straight story. These are my favorite types of books. You can just read them as a, as a straight story. It's beautifully done. It's amazing. Or you, of course, you can read it as a metaphor for disease or transformation, diagnosis of heartbreak. And then my favorite angle of reading it as where we really belong, because as he slowly turns into a shark, he feels that's his truest self, if you will. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I'm always up for a truest self story, right? Like so, <laughs> so I was just like, oh my gosh, he is, he is a shark, you know, like in this very serious book. So anyway, I loved it. I think it's interesting. I didn't I didn't read it as quirky. Like I didn't think he does such a good job of making it normal that mm-hmm. I didn't even feel like it was quirky. It reminds me a little bit of that television show Severance where it's like just accepted that you can like sever your work life and your home life and it's just it's not super science fictiony. This could be such a science fiction premise. And I keep telling people about it and they're like, eh, "I don't know." And I'm just like, "No, no, no." Like it's 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 so great. And it's, as you said, like the fact that the fact that she takes it so seriously and handles it with such care, like their changing relationship and the, the love that he feels 
for her and then like as he's changing having to control himself so it's just and then just her dealing with the difference and 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 what her life is going to be it's just so beautiful mm-hmm. i remember i read it i like i read it and i closed it and i was like wow like i i and i don't normally do that but i was just like actually it was just like wow like that was so gorgeous so i think it's yeah, it was it and it really again like surprised me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Surprise is a big element for me whenever I'm choosing my best books of the year. The you know, books that sent, tend to stay with me mostly have some element of surprise to them. And that doesn't necessarily mean a plot twist or something. In fact, usually it doesn't. It's some kind of very unusual premise like this one or really interesting character or something that I just, you know, when you read a lot, you you want to be taken by surprise, right? Like you none of us wants to read the same thing over and over. And I, since I do tend to read a lot of the same genres over and over, and I also tend to read authors I love over and over, that when there's something new and fresh and surprising, it's such a standout to me. And Shark Heart was such a standout. That is why it has landed as my number one spot for the year. I do just want to briefly mention, literally for the record, that some of the books that I talked about at the mid-year show are also going to end up on my final list. Now, listeners know that I do a final list by the end of the year, and I do not make that list until we actually get to the final days of the year because there's lots of reading to be done in the last couple of weeks of December. In fact, I'm reading a book right now that may make it on my end of the year list. Talk about recency bias. But (laughs) I just want to mention that a few of the books that I talked about in June like remained on my list. I loved We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman. That was a short little novel. That was my first book of the year, actually. And that is a hard story about friends. One of them is, is dying. And it's irreverent and just I loved it. It was it, it was definitely unexpected as well. And then my nonfiction for the year, of course, I love Spare by Prince Harry. I'm not going to lie. I love that book. That book is staying on my list. But the one that I really want everyone to read that, you know, wasn't as everywhere as Spare is The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control by Catherine Morgan Schaffler. So that was, as, after I already gave my speech about staying away from some self-help this year, that is <laughs> technically a personal development book. But I loved it for anybody who, you don't even have to overly identify as a perfectionist or type A or anything like that. I don't, I don't see myself as that so much in my 40s as I used to. But this book is so good. And I've been recommending it to a lot of women. I feel a lot of us should get this message that we don't have to be ashamed of the things we are particular about. In fact, we can harness the power of those things that we feel really strongly about to make our lives better. It's called The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control. I talked about it back in June, but for sure, wanted on the record here at the end of the year. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. 
Born shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, round two. Y'all ready to discuss what we else we liked this year? Steph, tell me the next book that is on your list for uh, best of the year. The next book I have is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Oh, yay. I'm so glad. It was such a battle for first because I I loved this book so much. I've been a fan of James McBride's for a really long time. I read his memoir, The Color of Water, when I was 19, and I have kind of followed him. What can I say? I took a class on, actually, I took a class you both would have loved. In college, I took a class entirely on memoirs. Okay. I just don't say your age when things happened. It's hard for me. (laughs) It was my favorite English class that I took in all of college. But yeah, so the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store is a novel that he wrote. It takes place primarily in 1936 in a community called Chicken Hill, which is in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. It is framed by the f- uh, it it uses a framing device where in 1972 a couple of you know police officers knock on a man's door and say you know we have found a body in a well and it's so it's framed by this kind of mystery of who died and quite frankly who killed him but the majority of the book takes place in the 30s during the depression in a community that is mostly black and jewish it is about a couple named hona and moshi who own a grocery store called the heaven and earth grocery store in chicken hill and they are a jewish couple he owns a bunch of theaters that he runs and he is the first theater owner in their town who was ever catered to the black community and so it's mostly black artists who he come he gets to come and perform and and as are most of the customers the book is so much about this community and what happens when Hona and Moshi take in a deaf 12-year-old child named Dodo, who they are hiding from the local authorities who want to institutionalize him. And it's about the way that this community rallies around this child and, and rallies around Hona as well, who is beloved by the community because she is such like a warm and giving person. I just, I fell in love with this world. I mean, similarly to the way that I felt about Hello Beautiful, there is no character in this book who is not incredibly well-written and super 
thoughtful in in their depiction. You love all the side characters, Nate and Paper and Bernice. Like there's a million of these characters who, even if they're in the show for just like a couple of scenes, are are so thoughtful, including like the antagonist, the doctor. The town doctor is is kind of the primary antagonist in the book who is absolutely hated by Hona because it is clear to her and everyone else that he's in the KKK. And so there is this kind of overwhelming menace that kind of surrounds this community. They talk a lot about racism and anti-Semitism and all of these things that are affecting this community. But ultimately, I think it is a book that shows a lot of love and a lot of kind of joy in community. And I thought it was just so, it's so wonderful. And just, I can't, I can't sing this book's praises enough. I loved every moment of it. It could have been 200 pages longer. I would have been perfectly happy. I, James McBride is such a specific voice. I mean, I know we all love Deacon King Kong. Yeah. I was going to ask you how it compared to Deacon King Kong. I love both of them. This probably is, is my favorite. It's a, it's a much more straightforward story, but I've never read anything he's written that I didn't think was outstanding. I I just I've I've literally bought this book for two people for the holidays already and I was like I've got to give people something other than this <laughs> one book probably. I don't know. But yeah, I I can't recommend it more highly enough. You'll just you fall in love with these characters and you just want the best for them even when you know that like that's not always possible for these characters. It's just uh, he's such a special writer. I would read any he wants to write a grocery list, I'll read it. Like yeah. count me in. Yeah. No, I I agree. I absolutely loved it. I love that. I mean, it's hard sometimes with writers who are so good because I I got confused. <laughs> like, I honestly don't know if I'm like, oh, do I like this or is James McBride my book boyfriend? Like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, I don't. so it's 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 hard. But I did. I liked it a lot, and I and I agree with you that it's like he just he takes such care with his characters. Mm-hmm. In a way that's like different from yeah, Napolitano, for example, in that book. But like he just, it's like you just, you feel the love for them. And he just t- does take such care of them. And it's just so beautifully written. But again, I have to say, like, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like every book he writes, I will be like, this is amazing. And it's so beautifully written. I would, you know, so I, and you know. Yeah, we talk a lot about who is our like pre-order list mm. and like who are the people that we make sure that like the second they announce the book, we've pre-ordered. Like he is so top of my pre-order list. Anything he wants to write, any genre he wants to tackle, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, I don't care. He writes it, count me in. Like yeah. absolutely. The man can do no wrong in my eyes. <laughs> I pre-ordered this one. I have had it waiting on my Kindle since it came out in I think August and mm-hmm. I just haven't gotten to it yet. This is an example of like amazing books that came out that I just did not click start <laughs> on. But yeah, he's he is such a singular voice. I like that you said that. And I'm definitely going to read this one coming out. Cut to us in six months doing our mid-year next year. And you're going to be like, why didn't you guys make me read this sooner? I know. hundred percent. That's absolutely. So Mark my words. This is going to happen. It's going to be the same thing that happened with Friday Black, where you're like, how did you not tell me about this? Oh my God. <laughs> we did. <laughs> 
you know that I can't even recommend Friday Black to people because it is so disturbingly dark. It is. I always mm-hmm. have to be like, listen, do not, do not start this book if you're not ready for it. But God, is that an all timer? It's an all timer, even though it is so upsetting. Okay, Yasmin, second round. What's your next favorite book of the year? Okay, so my next book is Holly by Stephen King. Oh! is for Laura. Now, I have to say, this book took me totally by surprise. And, and you know what? And a lot of people don't like it, I've discovered, because they don't like Stephen King being Stephen King. So it's if you have issues with Stephen King on Twitter, then you might not like this book because he's very much himself and does not hide his politics and feelings about things. But I will say... Holly Dibney is this character that originated in Mr. Mercedes. She's also in Finders Keepers and The Outsider. And the reason that I actually, the reason that I picked up this book is because of something that is on the book jacket. I am not normally a Stephen King person. I read Misery when I was very young and I shouldn't have. And it just terrified me. And I was, yeah. And like his writing was so, I had such a visceral, like nasty reaction to his writing and it's so gross and okay. I can't go back to misery. Hold on. (laughs) Okay. But also misery isn't even that gross. I know, but what it is, is it's psychologically disgusting. I don't know. It's like, like she terrified me. She terrified me. And then there's one description of when she like breaks his foot that that that's really gross. I'm going to I'm going to push back on that. It's kind of gross. <laughs> Stephanie. I mean, well, I know it's insane and like and, and there are things that are grosser in the outsiders and Mr. Mercedes for for sure. But like I was a small child. So like me I've never gone back to read it again. Maybe it's not that bad, but I remember it being the worst thing I've ever experienced in a book. Okay, well, I will give you that misery is terrifying, but it is one of the ones that I sometimes recommend to people if they can handle the psychological part of it, because obviously, you know, Annie Wilkes is a really scary, like, character that a lot of us know from the movie, if you haven't even read the book yet. But I recommend it to people as a Stephen King book because it is not horror there's no supernatural element. There's no monster. Doesn't I mean, that make it scarier, though? Yes, because a monsters and the supernatural don't scare me. The clown in it is, like, not actually going to come and get me, although that will terrify me for my life. But, like, crazy people who stalk and, like, that's real. Ugh. Yes. And, like, okay, so I grew up with three brothers and we saw lots of horror movies. And, like, so that stuff doesn't scare me. And still to this day, the 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 movies I don't finish are the psychological crazy thrillers that could happen. I see your point. I'm not arguing with your point. There's something like, it just depends on how you view it. If it's scarier that it's a real person or scarier that it's like a a monster supernatural thing. Like it's it's just a taste thing, but misery is such a amazing book. And I feel like it doesn't get, even though it's one of, uh, you, Wait, know, you knew that I was no. going to take a Stephen King tangent. I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And it's not fair because I was a child. I was a child. So remember, I'm looking at it through that perspective. I don't want to disrespect your king, but okay. like. 
I was a child and it really, it really messed me up. And I will say that it's because of you and your proselytizing that I even gave Stephen King another chance. And because I wanted to join the Stephen King Summer Club. Well, and the the books that he's written lately, he's been on a detective bent for Which is my thing, and don't say it with such disdain. I heard that. Oh my I love a detective novel. That sounds great. It was like a detective bent. Yes. Yes. For those of us who don't like monsters and crazy people. All right. Let's get back to this. Holly. And again, like I, what drew me to it is this, this quote on the back where he talks about how Holly Dibney was supposed to be like a one-off character in Mr. Mercedes. And I'm just going to read it because it's so beautiful. And this is why I love Stephen King, because he says stuff like this. I could never let Holly Gibney go. She was supposed to be a walk-on character in Mr. Mercedes, and she just kind of stole the book and stole my heart. Holly is all her. So I love that he conceptualizes his characters this way. Again, like I said about James McBride, like takes care of them. Like he cares about them. And I love that like he didn't even want to write her, but she just became something. Like this is a special thing that happens in the minds of writers and even writers I work with that like, I, I can't do it. I don't get it. It doesn't happen to me. That is not how I approach. Like I'm not a writer. So the love that they have of these characters and characters that can just take a life of uh, take on a life of their own is so intriguing to me. And so I love that he had the respect toward her to give her her own book. And I actually really, really enjoyed her. I liked her as well. Like through all the other books she did, she did jump off the page. She did, you know, it wasn't supposed to be about her. And then all of a sudden everything was about her anyway. So Holly is on her own. Her partner at the finders keepers detective agency has COVID so she is by herself. And I will say this is one of the COVID novels that I read that I actually didn't, like it didn't depress me. Mm-hmm. Some of them really like, I was like, I don't want to go through this again. But this one was not that. Anyway, so her partner's got COVID. She gets a case in and she ends up, you know, just trying to piece together a bunch of different things that had happened in a, in on her own, which is a big deal because she, she has challenges. She has, she's agoraphobic before she was like, you know, she has some fears and things that, that have held her back in the past. And so it was really nice to see her be put in this situation where she had to be on her own and and really just excel like she was amazing not only did she deal psychologically with stuff but she was able to just like you know solve the solve the mystery find the things and and really just hold her own and i i really liked that i liked that he gave that to her do you feel like you have to have read the other books in the series or can you read holly as a standalone it can totally be a standalone i think it will enhance your enjoyment of like how far she's come if you meet her in Mr. Mercedes and go all the way through, because she does sort of slowly evolve. But this, this book is, is like, it's like her coming out party. Like it's like, she's, you know, done all the things that you want her to do. 
And then again, like there's no getting around the fact that Stephen King is one hell of a writer. Like he's just ridiculous. Like I can't, he is, I hate it. But it's like, even it's, even if you don't really like detective stories, I think like he makes it, he makes it so compelling. It's a compelling read. And I'm excited to go and read more because I have, you're right. I've only really read the detective ones, but I'm excited to kind of go back and read some other ones that are not it. So I'm not going to read that one, but yeah. And well, you I'm, should, you should probably read 112263. Mm-hmm. It is so fantastic. And for the record, I am not against detective novels as a genre at all. I am against I Stephen know. King, like, decided to write detective novels. Like, it's- I don't know. I don't. I, I disagree with that. I think that you are not like, because Steph and I love detective. Love a detective novel. I read so many. You don't like them the way that we like them. No, I don't. But I mean, I can, I can do them in a limited moment. I can't imagine your response if I actually got you to read like the Thursday Murder Club. Yes. Which, it's the amazing. fourth book just came out, by the way, and it's fantastic. So fun. Wait, Last Devil to Die, so good. I do see those books. Like they have cute covers. Should I skip those? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying they're excellent. But I don't think you would like them because you don't really like detective novels. I'm trying to make Fetch happen. You're not part of our club. Okay, fine. (laughs) Okay, but you know, I did love and like really swore by the Dublin Murder Squad. Tana French's early books were all, aren't those detective-y? They are. But they also have a lot more going on than that. They yes, cla- required. That's required for me. They aren't classic, like the Thursday Murder Clubs, which is my current favorite detective series. Like they are just what they are. They are detective novels. They are octogenarians solving crimes. Like that is that is what it is. They are cozy. They are charming. They always have one or two solid twists. It's the like, cozy mystery. You don't like the cozy mystery. Because you don't do cozy either. I was going to say, it's not the mystery part. It's the cozy it's part. It's the cozy that bothers you. Like, yeah. Yasmin and I love a cozy. I mean, we were both raised on Agatha Christie. We're the queens of cozy. I don't want anything cozy. Cozy is our... I'm already out, I feel like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then you can come to our tea party. Okay, I can't. There are two. There are two words that will make me just put a book right on down: cozy and sweet. I'm like sweet. Like I no. My next one is really sort of a real turn from what we were just discussing, and that it's not particularly dark at all, and it has absolutely nothing in common with Shark Heart, my first choice. It is called Search by Michelle. Honeyven. Now, this is a novel, but it reads like a memoir. It is so specifically, like if you had told me it was memoir, nonfiction, I would have like, I wouldn't have even questioned it. This is a book set in Pasadena, which I do really love LA-based stories. Pasadena is right outside of LA. It's like a suburb. And this is about a, <laughs> a church search committee looking for their next pastor. I know. I know. Like, who would have thought this is your second best book of the year? And now this book actually came out in 2022. So it wasn't even published in 2023. But it's not 
religious, even though this is obviously a church looking for a pastor. It's a Unitarian Universalist church. So the congregation has like quite a few different sort of belief systems. They're more of like a community and they are losing their longtime pastor and they put together a search committee as one would do with like young people and old people and, you know, people who have different priorities and people with children and people without children and like all these different, you know, types of people that make up this search committee to look for a new pastor for their flock. And as you can imagine, drama and tension ensues. (laughs) Because it, the part about it being religious, because it's not very religious. So if you set that part, this aside, this is just about like group dynamics, like having, getting a group to agree on anything this important, you know, searching for their next leader. And there's like three different candidates come through and, you know, they sort of decide on, they have to vote on, they have to kind of take through this process. They're very different type of candidates for, you know, leading your, in this case, church that you really care a lot about, like what is the next phase of it going to look like? So the story is them on the search committee, right? So this is just like a group dynamics novel, but I just loved it so much, even though it's like, it's quiet. There's nothing explosive about it. This is sort of an everyday occurrence. Our main character is a food writer here in LA. So she does restaurant reviews. So there was just, that was kind of the backdrop for some of the conversations in the book of that she would, because she has to go on these restaurant review trips like every day or a few times a week, she would invite different committee members to go with her so that over a meal, they would discuss different things. So as you can see, this is just like a highly verbal book that again, like there's no big like plot twist or anything. It just felt to me like such a perfect rendition of like human interaction and flaws and motivations and you know people kind of team up and like try to sort of game the system in the search committee of course you know that's going to happen so there's a little bit of that type of drama but still very quiet and then there's one scene at the end this isn't a spoiler i'm not going to i mean this isn't the type of book that has spoilers but <laughs> There's this there's this scene at the end where our main character, the food writer, she they're having like a vote, you know, having a group vote. It's not their first one. They've had to vote throughout this process. And it's constantly frustrating or hard or you're you're having to make a compromise on something because that's what committees do. Having to make compromise on something that you really care about. And she's annoyed and it's like midnight and they're doing this vote and she like has to like take a minute, you know, take a breather. And she goes out into the yard and sort of like to gather herself. And she has these, you're following her thoughts. It's not like a monologue, but it's like her thoughts. And it was just one of those scenes that you really remember that sticks with you because it so resonates that she's sort of having her light bulb moment of maybe I'm not right on this. And I don't know about y'all, but like, haven't we all had those moments in the last few years? I feel like politically in the pandemic, in the online space, in our real life, like there have been moments where we, we've dug in so hard and then something happens where you're like, well, how much do I want to fight for this? 
how much am I just fighting for this to fight? Do I still believe every piece of this still? You know, does in terms of this book for a search committee, like which part of this matters? Is it the relationship with these people or is it that I get to be right? You know, like you you have these different mind shifts and part of it's maturity and part of it is sad because it's sad to maybe like acquiesce the tiny bits of power that we have. Anyway, I know that this is like a little bit different from my usual pick, but there are sometimes books like this, a little bit like Yasmin was describing, that just fit your life for whatever reason and just speak to you about like how we're all doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this book, Search, was that for me this year. I felt like it w- it captured a lot of things. It sounds so good. I think I think you would really like it, Steph, actually. And I will say, I one of the things that struck me, I was thinking about this the other night, is that we usually get these types of stories through like school or mom scenarios. And I liked that it wasn't about kids. It wasn't like the PTA. It was just like grownups being humans. Mm, that's um, right. And I thought that that's like sort of like a reminder that like, yeah, we're all kind of crazy and we all kind of, you know, like we think about our ego and we want this and we want that. But it was nice that it was a very grown up book and didn't surround, you know, it wasn't like typical like, oh, PTA and yada, yada, big little lies and power struggles. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like that. No, it was it was a quiet book. It was funny. Actually, there's a, like a lot of the our main character, the writer, she is funny and she says funny things. And like, I don't know, it just worked for me in like almost every way. And so that's why it landed for me as one of my very favorite books of the year. Quick break to let you know that as much as Yasmin and Stephanie and I have loved sharing with you about our favorite books of the year, we also had a whole private conversation on Patreon about the big books in 2023 that did not land for us. A lot of people love them. We did not. I see the value in talking about books that didn't work for us, not because I want to bash authors, but because it is a constructive way to identify our own tastes and to help us choose books that are a better fit for us next time. Also, sometimes you just need to vent about a book that you didn't love, and that is what Yasmin and Stephanie and I are doing over on Patreon. You can only hear this part of the conversation with us and the books that we didn't love in 2023 over on the Secret Stuff Patreon, my monthly membership community. And if you love the book, episodes like this one, we have tons of book content over there every single month. We have the Secret Stuff Book Club meeting on Zoom led by me. We have regular reading roundups where I share all the things that I've been reading. And we have special episodes that we would never share publicly like this month when Yasmin and Stephanie and I recorded the conversation about the big buzzy books that we just didn't like. Again, you can only get all of this when you join the Secret Stuff Patreon by going to lauratremaine.com slash secretstuff. Annual memberships for Secret Stuff are available now for a very limited time. Only through January can you sign up to be a part of the Secret Stuff community for the whole year. So join us. I think you'll love it. Go to lauratremaine.com slash secretstuff to listen and be a part of the Secret Stuff community. And now back to the show. Steph, you're up next. Round three. Okay. So my next favorite book of the year was Good Omens, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. 
And I will fess up to, even though I profess to be both a fan of sci-fi and fantasy, I had never actually read Neil Gaiman before or Terry Pratchett, which is a little bit embarrassing. What? That is so crazy to me. I I know. It's just like a gap in my reading that I had just like – I don't know how it happened. It's weird, especially since I do really like both of those genres. And now that I have read the first one, I was like, oh, wow. What have I been missing? Oh, my God. Like, terrible. It's not like they're, like, not known writers. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're huge writers. It's not like I could probably name half their books anyway, like, without having read them. What was the little Agnes Nun thing? I mean, like, you know, what was her name? What was the nun? Agatha of Little Neon? Yeah. Oh, my God. So you read that. But then you don't read that. <laughs> it's crazy. Part of it, to be fair, is I know that I suffer from like shiny new book syndrome. Good Omens came out in 1990. If I had read it at 13, I probably would have read every book he wrote afterwards. But as Didn't a- I tell you to stop saying how old you were in certain years? Sorry. No, <laughs> she wasn't even born in 1990. When were you born? I, I was born in 88. I'm not, I'm not. Stop I, saying I, it! <laughs> his mean looks horrified. But like if I had read it as a teenager, I would have then gone and done, but like I didn't. So I missed it until I was an adult. And then since, you know, you had adulthood, especially because of bookstagram, admittedly, which is like a thing, I have a tendency to be like, oh, I need to read. I need to keep up with the conversation. I need to read the new things. So I'm not as good as about reading backlist. All that being said, I love this book so much and it is just, it's a joy to read. It is so much fun. The reason I read it is because I actually watched the TV show, which is a complete and total delight, and everyone should go watch that too. I never read books that I have already watched the the adaptation of. I frequently will watch adaptations of things I've already read. I really love doing that. I know, Lara, that is deeply not for you, but I almost never reverse the order. If I've seen it, I tend not to go back and read it. But this time I was like, you know what? That book sounds really fun. I loved the show. Like, Wait, I'm just I don't go and enjoy it. You know, I don't watch a ton of TV. So, is Good Omens a TV show that's out like right now? It is. So they've done two seasons. It's on Amazon. Okay. The first season is literally the plot of this book. Okay. The second season is based on some ideas that Neil, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett had that they never published. Terry Pratchett has since died. So the second season is kind of based on on some of their subsequent ideas. Neil Gaiman is the one who's kind of t- leading the charge. Got it. But this, I will say, if you've watched the show, like the book is the first season functionally, and it is so fun. So the book is about an angel and a demon, Aziraphale and Crowley, who were both sent by their respective like teams, AKA heaven and hell to earth at the beginning of creation. So like Adam and Eve and over the millennia, it takes place in present day, primarily in London. They Crowley, the demon is contacted by the forces of hell saying we are bringing forward the beginning of the end times. We are going to deliver a baby who is the Antichrist and you are to hide him. So heaven can't find him. And then when he reaches of age, he will begin the process of the end times. And Crowley and Aziraphale over millennia have become friends, completely unbeknownst to their respective sides. And 
they don't want the world's end because they have kind of fallen in love with humanity and they really like the world and they really like people. And so they conspire together to prevent the end. And this is a book where almost all of the humor and almost all of the joy of this book is in the language. The writing is really, really funny. Crowley is, you know, he's a demon, but he, you know, he was an angel that fell. And the book describes him as he didn't so much fall as gently saunter downwards. (laughs) And like, that's very indicative of the way the book is written. It's really clever. It's really funny. There's all sorts of moving pieces. So there's Aziraphale and Crowley and there's heaven and hell and there's other demons and angels. But also there is this character, Agnes Nutter, who was a witch, presumably in the kind of 1600s, who writes this book of prophecies. And they say in the book that like, she's the only Oracle who's ever actually been correct. And so her professional, her descendant who describes herself as like a professional descendant has been following these prophecies for hundreds of years. So she can help prevent the end times. And then there's a witch hunter. And then you have this little boy, Adam, who is the Antichrist and has no idea. (laughs) And he's being raised in this tiny little town of Tadfield in like rural England. So is the book, the book is a standalone one book. So the TV show moves forward, but the book itself is its own thing. Exactly. Okay. The book is its own thing. It is a one-off standalone. It's It's just, it's a total delight. And I think- The humor is really what got it for me. And the other thing is that, like, I think particularly when times have been really dark, we've all been reading a lot of awful stuff in the news, it is really lovely to read a book that just, like, appreciates humanity. Mm. It's like, look at the joy of this. Look at the joy of humanity. Look at what people created. This is really lovely. And, like, the relationship between Aziraphale and Crowley is so charming because for the longest time like they refuse to admit their friends and they're best friends but like they can't admit it and it's so charming to see the way that they interact with each other and the way that they interact with the world you might have talked me into this one actually. <laughs> it's so it is funny good. it's very funny and then it's really funny i love how our choices are we're really all over the place this year <laughs> we are I know. it's bananas we are yeah, I was like, we I are. wrote down everybody's books and I was just like, there's like no through line here at all. No, no. <laughs> none, none whatsoever. Yeah. The book is, it's so funny and it's like an easy, fun read. And it will, it's one of those books that like you find yourself smiling when you read because it's just like amusing yeah. and delightful. And it doesn't require that much of you other than you sit back and be entertained. Like it's, it's a great one. I recommend it to everyone. Don't be like me and wait so long to read Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. It was a mistake. Are you it. reading American Gods next? Yes, okay. I am. I totally am. I have it lined up for that is going to be my winter vacation book. Good. And then when I want to ask this, did you, when you read the book, did you appreciate the brilliance of the casting that much more? Oh, it's amazing. So the casting in the show is David Tennant and Michael Sheen and more perfect casting has truly never been made. Never. They, <laughs> and like, I read the book with them in my head, but even without that, like, I can't imagine either person being cast differently. They are a joy. The show is a joy. The book is a joy. It is just really fun. Amuse yourselves. Read this book (laughs) about the end times. (laughs) 
So amusing. <laughs> so amusing. Yasmin, what's up with you? Okay. This is a weird one. Adolescent. Okay, we're ready. This, my next book is a book called The Center by Aisha Manazir Siddiqui. You guys, <laughs> this book is so crazy, but so delightful. I honestly feel after this conversation that it's sort of a book that is like a Laura and Yasmin crossover book because okay. it's like a little weird and like there's some stuff in it that happens that you're like, ew, gross. But then it's also extremely well-written. So it's about this center. It's about this woman who is a translator and she wants to translate more, like more books and more important works. Wait, pause. Did this come out this year? Yes. Because I haven't even heard of it. So? Me neither. (laughs) I mean... We're behind the times, yeah. apparently. Not that I've heard of everything. I just you guys know that I am the most like forward-thinking, well-informed one of the group. Um, <laughs> right, right, of course. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. That's absolutely how that works. That's how I would have described you at the top of the episode, and I'm sorry I didn't. No, I, I, I happened to I, I, I read it about it somewhere. It was like in passing. I was. It was. It was like either one of the books at the end of the of the like the New Yorker. Or it was something that I that popped up on the New York Times. Like I wasn't seeking it out; it just happened to just discover something about it, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really interesting." Because it is about language acquisition, which is my which is my jam, right? I was an English teacher. I love languages. I love words. And so this idea of this special center where you can go and learn languages really quickly. And like you go to the center and you just like immerse yourself in the world and you hear stories. And then all of a sudden you're like thinking in the language and then all of a sudden you're fluent. So part of it was like this wishful thinking of like, Ooh, I want to do that. Like, I would love that. The thing that annoys me the most in the world is that like, I'm never going to speak every language and I'm never going to read all the books that are written. Like those, they, like it bothers me a lot, like, like really deeply on the cellular level and like so unfair. Uh, <laughs> so I was intrigued by this concept of this place where you could just learn all of these languages. And it's really, it's kind of like the place is a little like cloak and daggery like it's not and 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 they don't mean to be but they're just like no you know it's a good select it's a really selective club and like we just don't we don't let just anybody in and we have to be really private about it or everyone will do it but then when you find out like the sort of like the secret behind the whole mechanism it is so surprising and so not at all what i was expecting yeah. And it was, and then the novel gets very meta, which I love. Like, I just, I love a self-referential book. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I mean, it's too much David Foster Wallace when I was younger, but like, it's like, I just like, it just, I, I loved it because it really makes you think. And then when you finish the book, you're like, wait, what? Like, what is it? It was sort of Twilight zone at the end, which I also love. Like, I love it's not, I mean, I guess I, w- I would never say that I love science fiction, but I love things where you're like, like Inception, where like, wait, what is it? Are they dead? Are they alive? What's happening? Is it a dream? Is it real? Like, you know, I, I, I like when you leave a book with not a quite clear idea of what's happening. 
or what you just went through, right? As a reader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it just like, I, I really, really loved everything about it. And it just, again, like we go back to surprising, like it was, I, I was just completely caught off guard. It was totally surprising. It wasn't like a big buzzy book, but it was just, it was very well written and just so interesting. Say the name and the author again. The Center, and it's spelled the British way, T-R-E-C-E-N-T-R-E, The Center by Aisha Manazir Siddiqui. Okay, it's my turn for this round, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I think I do this every year, and also I'm allowed to do it because I'm the host. <laughs> now, <laughs> Break your own rules. Now, officially, I'm going to give you my two next official picks, but I've talked about both of them recently on the show. So then I'm going to talk about one that I haven't talked about yet, just to kind of keep it interesting. But just for the record, my next favorite book of the year is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. I loved this book. If you read Miracle Creek a few years ago, then the this is not a follow-up at their separate books. But I mean, this is her next book. And I liked Miracle Creek. And so I went ahead and bought this. Actually, Yasmin, I might have bought this because you posted about it on Instagram that you really loved it. And I had had enjoyed Miracle Creek. So I went ahead and bought it. I had no expectations. I didn't even know what this book was about. And it is so good. It is also a dysfunctional family drama, sort of. There's more yeah. going on with it. But <laughs> Maybe at the root it is. It's about a family, a mom, dad, two sons, and a daughter. Our main character is sort of the daughter. And in the opening pages of the book, the dad goes missing. And one of the sons is nonverbal. And so he's supposed to be with his dad. He comes back alone. And so then the mystery of where the dad is follows. And the nonverbal brother son who cannot communicate traditionally is that that's a big element of the book is how we can get him to communicate and where's the dad. This book is so good. It's so interesting. It's sciency. It is family drama. Like I said, it has some like very funny and poignant moments. Like I just, this is a really, really good book. Again, I've already spoken about this book recently on the show, so I won't give a million minutes to it, but it is such a standout. Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. And then the other one that I've also talked about recently on the show, but it's just got to, it's got to live here. I listened to it on audio and it is a memoir that is so funny and sad and beautiful and thought provoking. And it's called How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key. Now, this book is a little bit the antithesis of Yasmin's pick for the year, which is We Can Make This Place Beautiful, which is a divorce memoir. How, how to stay married is a is a non-divorce memoir um <laughs> sorry i have to say that when this was brought up earlier like i laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed <laughs> now i loved this book because it's not a narrative that we hear again this is memoir so this is harrison scott Key is a humor writer. This book does have a Christian bent to it. So if that is not going to be like your thing, then skip this one because he does, you know, seek out like help in his marriage through like the church and and his church community and things like that. So there is that element to it. 
that is not typical thing that I read these days and it didn't bother me a lick. I thought it was so funny and interesting. You find out in the very like like the first paragraph maybe that the wife has cheated. And you know, he's like I found out my wife was in love with another man and this is what happened. <laughs> and I'm laughing even though that's like not funny because he's so funny about it. But you can also as with all, you know, strong comedians, the pain the pain is right at the surface, but it is so funny and thoughtful. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a, a woman of a certain age, but I felt like I had read this narrative differently. I had read a man cheating and the woman working through it. You know, this was the opposite. And he goes through all the emotions that you would expect anger, jealousy, like I'm done with it. Now I'm going to lose a lot of weight. Now I, th- you know, all the things. And he, I just thought it was so good. You can't really do justice to a relationship memoir like this unless you just take it on. And again, I did this one on audio. I thought it was excellent. Okay, so those are two. Happiness Falls and How to Stay Married are my two official ones. And then here's what I want to get. I do want to give a few words to because I've I've talked about this on Secret Stuff on Patreon, but I never talked about this one publicly. It's it's also a nonfiction. And it's called Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing by Emily Lynn oh. Paulson. And this I also listened to on audio. And this is a memoir of her time in a very prominent, very popular MLM. Wow, shots fired. I, I mean <laughs> I need to read that. I do feel like I wish I'd read this book like maybe, I don't know, three years ago. I feel like the MLM bubble has popped a little bit, like in terms of in my feed, at least, which is very much like this author, Emily Lynn Paulson. You know, I have a lot of people in my feed that are midlife women, college educated a lot of times they become stay-at-home moms and they, you know, want to earn a little extra money or something like that. Like there's so many companies out there. Some of them are huge. Some of them are smaller. And for years, this populated my personal Facebook feed every single day, like dominated almost the different things that they were selling, skincare, makeup, supplements. Like, I don't even know, like all the all the different Leggings. things. Leggings. Yes. Essential like, oils. So many things. And I, you know, have been through what I think probably a cycle that most of us have been through. Like you want to support your friends, so you help it out, but maybe you have mixed feelings about it. And then it comes to light that this company's a scam. This one's okay. Like all these different things, right? I feel like we've all gone through this cycle together. And at least in my feed, now maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is not representative, but it feels like this was all a few years ago. So this it's not that this book is necessarily outdated it's just i wish that i had been armed with some of this information a few years ago because what she does is aside from the actual like sort of funny memoir essay type of stories which she does tell about how like she had to spend all this money to buy all these new clothes to go to these conferences to like look the part but then of course then you're not making any money if you're spending all this money to look like you're making the money. You know what I mean? So, but, and she's funny. She's a funny writer. So there's that kind of piece of it that's like an emotional memoir piece of it. But then she also goes into absolute detail about how the money part of this works. 
And she like breaks it down, like how much product she had to buy to stay at her level, like the tier of her particular company and how much she had to get the her downline, the people that were underneath her to buy. And like, so she's both sides of the book is there's the logistic kind of business side of it that I thought was interesting. She becomes very successful, but, and, and I don't even mean, but at a certain cost because she becomes very successful. She gets enough people underneath her that she is at like a high level of it. And she's explaining to you how the people at the top are making money. She was making great money and she's giving you numbers. And so I appreciated the logistic, like facts on the ground piece of it. And then I also appreciated the like emotional, personal stakes that she felt like got bigger and bigger as she had to like shower her team with gifts. And she had to, like I said, look a certain way and she had to post a certain way or not post things about her personal life because it wouldn't represent the brand very well. Or, you know what I mean? Like she like gets drunk at a party. You know what I mean? That's like really bad form, but also like she's so full on like 30 something year old woman, like you're allowed to get drunk at a party. I mean, it was, it was just super interesting that she parallels or that she's showing both sides, the business side of MLMs, why they're attractive, why she got in it in the first place, why her friends got into it, like all these things that are, they're not diminishing of the women at all. I felt like sometimes when you watch, I watched all these popular documentaries and stuff about these MLMs. And sometimes it feels like there's like a condescension to like, how stupid were you to ever get involved? Well, because this author was absolutely involved, she's not being condescending about herself. Do you know what I mean? I mean, she's taking she's taking responsibility for the pieces of it that didn't add up, but you aren't getting that like disdain that I feel like you get from other sources. You know, you're really getting like, you're like, I can see it. So I haven't talked about this book publicly because I, you know, always like don't want to offend anyone that might be a part of an MLM or might have in the past or whatever. And I feel like this this book actually does a good job of talking about it without being, like I said, disdainful or or whatever. And it's also just, it was just like a the reason that we love memoir. It's like a peek into this world that is fascinating. And again, I listened to it. So it's a quick listen. It's called, Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing. So I wanted that one to be on. No, that's right. I mean, I think I, I saw that somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I should get it. So I'm I'm glad that you you liked it. Yeah. Okay. Last round, Steph. What you got for us? The last one on my list is "The Humans" by Matt Haig. I picked this one up recently because I had read kind of a couple of sad books in a row, and I felt like I needed a little bit of a a pick me up palate cleanser. "The Humans." It's a really charming book. It's not a super heavy read. It is about an alien who comes from, you know, a a different species far away and aliens are concerned. This particular race of alien is concerned that humanity has just discovered the answer to the Riemann's hypothesis, which is a real math problem that no one has solved yet. And in this book, a Cambridge math professor has solved it. And the aliens want to send this this one of their species down to earth to destroy the answer to this 
math problem and destroy all evidence of it because they see humanity as being a low intelligent species who are incredibly violent and cannot afford to have the technology that would result from the answer to this hypothesis being discovered. So the whole book is written as kind of like a report back. And it's about this alien who ends up like they they kill this math professor and they send him to inhabit his body. And he's on a mission and it's very clear what his mission is. But despite what he kind of knows of humanity, he actually doesn't know anything about like the practicals of being a person. So they drop him in in Cambridge in no clothes and on the side of a freeway. And so he has to kind of stumble his way back. As you can imagine, this doesn't go well. And he has to pretend to be this professor so he can accomplish his mission. And along the way, he ends up kind of like Good Omens, like discovering the beauty of humanity. He starts drinking wine and reading Emily Dickinson and listening to the talking heads. And most importantly, he ends up having to pretend to be this man who has a wife and a child. And so he has to, you know, he moves in with his family and he's pretending to be this math professor. Wait, I, that it doesn't sound like light and fluffy palate cleansery. <laughs> it's not like... It's not light and fluffy, but it's not heavy and dark and depressing. It is pretty funny, and there's a lot of humor in it. Did it come out this year? No. So this book came out 10 years ago. It came out in 2013. Steph, you are like, first of all, you're reading really old books that love humanity. So you are having a theme. It's funny. The first the the first two books I talked about where I was all about like these are about community. And the second two, I'm like, these are books that will make you feel better about the world. Can you tell what kind of mind space I've been in lately? I needed a pick-me-up. But yeah, I mean it's it's really funny, it's charming, it it will make you feel good. Like it's it's a nice it's a really fast read. Why did you pick it? Like of all the books that you read, why is it like number four? Honestly, I think because I needed something to make me feel better. It was, you know, just sometimes you read books because you want different things. And similar to the, with Good Omens, it's like I just wanted a book that was nice, made me feel joy and was happy. And like and this is not an entirely happy book. Don't get me ra- wrong. But, you know, something that just felt cathartic and warm and God forbid I use this word cozy. It's just like I feel like I'm literally picturing books that you have chosen in the past and like Steph, they're literally always like, and then this is about the history of the brutal massacre of the obscure whatever. And I'm like, I mean, okay, like you like these like nonfiction. It's a new season. It's a new season for Steph. It's a new season. It's true. I will also say that I am a really, really big fan of speculative fiction. Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro is like truly top five favorite books of all time. I love, love speculative fiction. And I actually had never read this one, but I found it on a, I was Googling like everyone's favorite speculative fiction books. And this one kept popping up and I was like, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. What's it called? It's called The Humans by Matt Haig. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's it's kind of warm and fuzzy for the most part. I mean, not entirely, but it will make you feel good. <laughs> Yasmin, last one. 
So I'm going to change it up and I'm going to do a fiction. I'm not going to do the nonfiction I talked about, although I do want to plug The Best Minds by Jonathan Rosen. It's a very good book. It's on the New York Times best of the year list. Please read it. It's amazing. But the book I want to talk about is a fiction book called Hot Springs Drive by Lindsay Hunter. This is the third book in Roxanne Gay's imprint, Roxanne Gay Books. And it's so good. It's like, it's... It's, oh my God, I'm Steph this year. As like, <laughs> I love the like picking random obscure books as being the Steph. I mean, um, Steph, but they're to all- be fair, I'm honored. But, but- also like dark books too. I am yeah. Steph. So yeah, so this is a book about these two suburban women, Jackie Stinson and her friend Teresa. And they meet the day that their kids are born, like in the maternity ward. And then their neighbors and their lives sort of tracked in their best friends. And then you guys, Jackie just goes through something and it's, it's like, it's a midlife crisis with a twist. Maybe. I mean, like it's because it's a, it's a murder mystery. Oh yeah. You think it's like a suburban, like housewife novel, but it's not. And it's really dark in terms of just sort of like watching someone go crazy f- to get the things that they want and what they feel like they deserve and like the lengths that Jackie's willing to go to have this it's not even the life she wants it's like the life she doesn't I don't know it's like she's abandoning the life that she has which is the life she thinks she wants but it's like She's, it's, it's really great. And what I really like is that it's like told from different characters' perspectives. So you see, and, and some of them are the children. So you see like the adults thinking they're being adults and kids don't know. And then the kids are like, this is, this is some bullshit. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and then they see, you see the parents not understand the kids, the kids, not understand the parents or sometimes understand them even more than they do. Mm. And it's just really, I, I love that it's told from these different perspectives and it's not just from Jackie's perspective because you can see sort of like as she's a little bit going off the rails, you get to see the reaction of her kids. And it's just, it's really interesting to see the different perspectives and how the kids are behaving and what they want to do and what they're thinking about their mom. But then, and then also like the husbands don't understand the wives. And it's just this whole big like mishmash of the worst of people, like the worst of human tendencies. Like, and, and, and then you're just watching from outside all these different perspectives and you just want to be like no like why aren't you guys talking to each other like why can't you why aren't you honest why aren't you this but like i don't know it's really dark but it's extremely well written and she does a great job with like i would say economy of words So you're not like in all of these feelings like her sentences are really tight and they're really they're almost like gunshots. It's like every sentence is like, bah, 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 you know, and like it, it, they, they hit. What's the name of this one again? Hot Springs Drive by Lindsay Hunter. And you- I will say that does deeply sound like a book I would enjoy. I know what is happening. I am yeah. Stephanie. I'm Stephanie. I'm the, I'm. And that might, that might need to get added to the, like what I'm reading over. 
the next two weeks. You would really enjoy it. It's very good. I mean, it's not all happy, cozy, lovey, like you're in right now, but maybe you'll be back to yourself. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. I find myself again when I read some like dark family book. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do a last one and I lied because I am. Sorry. Oh, okay. Look at you breaking your own rules. I, every time, every time. Again. Well, it's because she's, I don't know, she said dark or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, I really want to say this book, even though I kind of didn't like it when I finished it. These are some of my favorite books. I didn't like when I finished it, but then I get like 10 months down the road and I'm like, I cannot stop thinking about that daggum book. And it is How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. Now, y'all, this is Killer Puppets. Okay. Nope. No, 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 no way, no shape, no how. You want to talk about a Stephanie book? This is the antithesis of a Stephanie book under no circumstances. Oh, my God. This book is so bizarre. And it is campy horror. Grady Hendrix does campy horror. But it's also still scary. It's kind of like, you know, Chucky when we were growing up was like ridiculous, but then also scary at the same time. This is how How to Sell a Haunted House is. I liked it also because it had, he he writes these like Southern horror books. He's in South Carolina, which of course I have a tie to. And there's a religious aspect to the puppets. And I grew up going to a church that had a puppet ministry. Okay. What? This is, yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> the kids weren't terrified? No, because the puppets aren't scary in a, actual puppet I'm like Punch and Judy or like the guignol is that what they're like okay. no I mean it's like so like the little puppets from Sound of Music the little marionettes it's sort of Sesame Street-ish oh like but okay, like, okay. But, that makes way more sense yeah it's kind of Sesame Street-ish Mr. Rogers-ish but with like you know Bible verses or whatever it's it's a, I don't know that it's common anymore I have no idea because this isn't my world anymore but it wasn't completely uncommon like you could buy these puppets or whatever well so in How to Sell a Haunted House the mom has been like participating in this puppet ministry at her church for decades only the thing is she hand makes the puppets and she has now died and her kids her grown kids have come back to like sell the house and there's this you know displays and displays and displays of these puppets that she's made over the years and you know of course you can imagine at night they come alive <laughs> that's not a spoiler they're killer puppets <laughs> so <laughs> um you look like you're going to puke <laughs> You know, like this at all. This is the stuff of a nightmare. So this book, as you're reading it, you're literally being like, this is so ridiculous. And then you're also like, I can't put it down. And even when I finished it, like I said, I think I gave it, I don't know, three and a half stars or whatever. I was like, well, I finished it. I couldn't put it down. But like, this book was dumb. And then here we are 10 months later and I'm like, I, I like said to Jeff, you know, this should be a movie. Actually, it has been optioned. I should, I should say it has already been optioned. I checked, but I, because I was like, this book has really stuck with me. It has like obviously killer puppets, but it also has like this sort of church thread. It has some addiction threads. It has the two grown children, a, a boy and a girl, like siblings. They have a very complicated relationship. So there's, there's dysfunctional family again. There it it's is. Always gonna come up. There it is. <laughs> But I mean, really, let's just circle back to killer puppets. It is. <laughs> I feel like my favorite phrase of this episode is obviously killer puppets. <laughs> I'm 
It's so good. I'm a little regretting I didn't even start with this one. But <laughs> this is the type of book that you come around to it. You're like, well, while we're talking about books, let me just bring this one up. <laughs> I'm going to get it because I have a plane ride in early January, so I'm going to get it for the plane. And I'm not. You're going to die. It is so ridiculous. And also, uh, like, there's just something about him. I felt this is my third Grady Hendrix book, so it's not like I've read a ton. But there's just something about him that is, I just cannot tell how serious we're supposed to take the whole thing. And I kind of like that. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, this is so crazy that, but also- that's like Southern Gothic horror, though, where you're kind of like, really? okay, I'm going to go with it. Like, I feel like that's 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 the South in a lot of ways, right? You know, like the things that are the legends and the stuff or I don't know. I know. I think I just typically associate Southern Gothic horror, which this is that, by the way. It's totally that. But I associate it with being a little bit more old timey and his books are totally modern. And so that. All, like adds to in some ways that makes it seem less realistic because of the modern piece of it. But then on the other hand, you're just like, oh, I don't I'm there's nothing else out there like this that I know, you know, that I'm reading. So anyway, I just we're going to end on Killer Puppets <laughs> because I love this book Excellent. so much. Y'all, we covered a wide a wide range today on our favorite books of the year. And it's, I feel like it's different from the past. Maybe are we, are we evolving? What? No, <laughs> us. <laughs> we are, we're growing. And I wonder though, I mean, hazard a guess that because we did the June episode, like we're just different. I think things are just, we're, we're, we're not looking at books the same way because we had that middle one. So I know, you know, we talked about some books and the June episode, we talked about some books that I'm seeing everywhere, you know, that we've already discussed. I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay, Romantic Comedy by Curtis Settenfield. Like we talked about some big books in the summer and I'm glad we talked about them, but it makes me wonder, like, is it, is it better? Do you still want to do a mid-year roundup, even though it affects the end of the year conversation? No, I think it makes the end of the year conversation better. I think that because we, I maybe it's even that like we had one episode that was more like buzzy big books. And then because we did the buzzy big books, we didn't feel like we had to address them. So we kind of opened things up a little bit. So I, I really like it. And maybe, I mean... I don't know. It's your show, but maybe it's maybe it's sort of like conceptualized of like a oh like a summer thing or like a the 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 big thing. I don't know, but it it just sort of naturally happened that we had all of the the big buzzy books that we wanted to talk about for the first show, and I just think it's I I liked getting those sort of out of the way, if you will, because I yeah I felt like I didn't have to put them on this list, you know, so I could go with my weird Stephanie choices. My God. I know. It's it's amazing. Welcome to the club. It's so fun to be here. No, I agree. I think it's fun to do that. I liked the mid-year because it takes, yeah, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the end of the year to feel like we have to read the ones that everybody's reading, which is why like for the first time ever, I think my best of end of year included two like deep backlist books. Yeah, It's almost always books that were written in the last year or two. And this time I was like, I don't feel like I need to hit the big ones because like, 
We already talked about them a lot of, we already did a lot of them. Yeah. You have a book that was written when you were like two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What can I say? Next time I'll probably bring one that was, you know, written before me. It'll Mm -hmm. be good. (laughs) Thank you all so much for doing this episode with me twice. (laughs) It was a blast both times. It's always a pleasure to talk books with you. I love always just hearing your thoughts, what's on your mind, what's going on in your life that affects your reading life and how it's all intertwined. It is a joy and pleasure always. So thanks for being on 10 Things to Tell You. Yay. Thank you. For having us. See you in June. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening.